we are in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 3, and this is the second warning passage. And if you were with us when we started Hebrews, I told you the difficulty of the book of Hebrews are these five warning passages and what do they mean. And people are divided, right? There's a number to kind of look at it this way and a number this way, and then there's a few more to look at it this way. And I could have told you then, but you probably wouldn't have made sense, but I'm going to tell you today Of the five warning passages, I think this is the most difficult one. They are the if passages, the the conditional clause of if. So we're in, we're going to start reading with verse 5. I'm going to read out loud. If you'll follow along in your Bible, that would be great. Now Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken later. But Christ was faithful faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are, if. If we hold fast our confidence and boast of our hope firm until the end. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me, as in the day of trial in the wilderness where your your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with this generation and said, they they always go astray in their heart. They did not know my ways, and I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brethren, that there not be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if, here's the second one, if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. While it is said, today, if you have heard his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. For who provoked him when they, when they heard? Indeed, did, did not all of those who come out of Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. So the question is, whose house we are if, right? So Christ has a house and we're a part of that if. We are partakers of Christ in verse 14, if. So what does he mean by the if? What does the conditional clause mean there, right? So a view, one view is this, that the conditional clause has to do with We prove that we are really Christians, that we are really people of faith if we persevere. So their argument would be that as the writer is addressing this, he's addressing people in the church who really haven't believed in Jesus. They're not quote-unquote real Christians. And that's proven by the fact that they turn away, that they fall away, an evil heart is found. And so therefore, they, they don't persevere. So we prove that we are real Christians by the fact that we persevere. And 
you read it and you go, oh, okay, that kind of makes sense. But, you know, one of the things we say around here is context is king. So let's look back at the context. You go back to chapter 3, verse 1. He says, therefore, holy brethren. Whoa, 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 whoa. If somebody is sitting here today, they have not come to faith in Jesus. Are they holy brethren? Partakers. That's the same word he uses actually down in verse 14. Uh, Companions. Sharers of a heavenly calling. If somebody's not come to faith in Christ, are they a partaker of the heavenly calling? The answer is no. Now, on the other hand, are there people here today... Uh, are, there, are there people who have joined us sometime this weekend or watching online who they've sang the songs, they're here, but they have not put their faith in Jesus? Yeah, probably, right? But what makes a person a Christian? Is it going to church? No. Is it being baptized? No. Is it taking communion? No. It's faith in Jesus, right? Faith in Jesus. So on the one hand, the author, the context is he's talking to people who have put their faith in Jesus, their holy brethren. But the other problem you have if you take that that view is the prescriptive. So if today I was dealing with the fact that some are here who think they're Christian but they're really not, what would I say? You need to believe in Jesus, right? 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 Because that's, that's the answer. That's what makes you a Christian. That's what makes you a real Christian is putting your faith and trust in Jesus. Notice what his prescription is. It is, in verse 13, encourage one another day after day. It's back in verse 6. If you hold fast your confidence and boast of your hope. That's what you got to do. Verse 14, for we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning. So basically, what the author of Hebrews is saying is, is this what you got to do? Would you get saved by what you do? If you hold this position honestly, then you're, you're suggesting that the author of Hebrews is suggesting that salvation is a matter of works. It's not a faith. But salvation is not of works. So that, that can't possibly be. You would never tell someone, oh, you want to be a Christian? Well, hang out with other Christians. Work hard. Hold your confidence. No. It would be believe in Jesus. So that's not who he's talking to. The second view sees that. Second view says, no, clearly he's talking to Christians. But the if clause here is that you can ultimately lose it. So now it is upon you to kind of hold on, to hold fast that confidence, right? And that's why you get connected with other people. So you hold that because if not, you're going to lose that salvation. Now again, uh, I would argue with you that when you look at the prescription, then what you have to accept is the author saying that, well, maybe you're saved by grace, but you're kept by works. Theologically, that doesn't work. We're not kept by our works. And on a very practical level, you know why you're not kept by your works? Because your works aren't all that good, right? Remember, we're not measured against each other. 
God's standard is perfection. Not only that, the author has been really clear that you can't lose your salvation. In Hebrews 10, this is what he says. By this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. There's no sense that, that you're sanctified once and then you can lose it. No, it's once for all. Four verses later, he comes back with, for by one offering, he is perfected for all time, those who are sanctified. The author of the book of Hebrews does not believe you can lose your salvation, for you have been perfected for all time. And I would argue with you that's exactly what Jesus told us. Jesus told us in John 10, I give them eternal life and they will, what's that word? Never. 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 Ever. Perish. By the way, if you can lose eternal life, was it eternal? By its very nature, if it can be gone, it's not eternal. Eternal is like forever. They will never perish. Then he gets this beautiful picture. I love this. And no one, no one will snatch them out of my hand, right? So what safer place to be than in the hollow of Jesus' hand, right? But leave it to our hearts and the reality of really kind of how bad we are. But hey, okay, so nobody can snatch me out, but maybe I can crawl out through those little holes between the fingers, right? And so then he adds this. The Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one's able to snatch them out of his hand, right? And I think he probably knew there could be, well, yeah, nobody could snatch you, but you can crawl out. Like, you can fall away. You can walk away, right? Look, look at all those. And just to make sure that you knew that there was no space in between the fingers, he finishes with verse 30, I and the Father are one. I give them eternal life. They will never perish. So I don't believe that's what he's saying. So then you've got to wrestle with the hard question. What is he saying, right? What do these if things mean? And as we mentioned, context is king. And so when we look at the context, first of all, the big book, right? 50,000 foot view. He's writing to people who have come out of Judaism, who have accepted the grace of Jesus Christ, and they're going through hard times. They're struggling, right? They're facing persecution. We think it's written... Late 60s, Nero's on the throne, a lot of persecution by the Romans. Ah, but even more persecution by the Jews who are still under Judaism. In fact, you read the book of Acts. Who was it was persecuting Paul and Silas and all those chasing them from town to town? It wasn't the Romans. It was the Jews under Judaism. And so they're facing persecution, and so they're starting to shrink back. They're, they're beginning to pull back, and the book is written to encourage them. So he starts with reminding them how much greater Jesus is, right? He's greater than the Old Testament revelation because he's the exact representation of the nature of God. He's greater than the angels who brought the revelation of God. Now, as he gets to chapter 3, and Rami handled so beautifully last week, I mean, he's greater than Moses, and Moses in Judaism was the man. Nobody higher than Moses. 
He is far, far greater than Moses. And so I think that the key verse, the key phrase to try to understand what is he saying is actually in verse 5. He says, now Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant. Verse 6, but Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are. So the question becomes, what does he mean by house? When it says Moses is faithful over his house, is he talking all Israel? Or is maybe he talking a smaller subsection of that? That would give us wisdom as to what Jesus was faithful over as a house of which we're a part if. Now, I know most of us today are not Greek scholars, but that's okay. You are in luck today because if you've attended Desert Springs, almost every one of you know the Greek word for house. It is oikos. Right, And it can mean like a dwelling, like a house. It can mean like a tabernacle uh, or, or a temple. And it also can mean your people, right? Your tribe. These, these are the 8 to 15 you do life with, right? This is your household, that type of thing. And so what's really interesting, because even in mine, so I, I use the New American Standard Bible. And when it, it, it quotes the Old Testament, It sets it apart. It puts it all in capital letters. You know it's a quote. What's interesting here in verse 5, now Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant. It doesn't do that. But the reality is, it is a direct quote from the Old Testament. It's from Numbers chapter 12, verse 7. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my household. We know how much the writer of Hebrews loves to quote from the Old Testament. He's taken it from Numbers 12. Well, what is the background? What's happening in Numbers 12? Numbers 12 is they have, they've gone to Sinai. They have built the tabernacle. He's installed now Aaron as the high priest and his sons. Right? So, so worship is going on. Now they are actually on their way to the promised land. And in this moment, where now there's a high priest, now the Levites have been set up to, to of which, of course, Moses was the, the greatest Levite of all. He was the one who ordained the tabernacle. He was the one who ordained Aaron and his sons. Now Aaron and his sister Miriam, who also we've seen the songs of Miriam that she sings as they come through the sea, right? She is also the Levite is leading praise, they challenged Moses' leadership because he was married not to a Jew, but to a Cushite. <laughs> and God says, time out, time out. Three of you, out to my tabernacle now. I want to talk to you. The three of them go out. God shows up and says, listen, you're right. Moses is not the only one that I will reveal my will to. But to others, other priests, other prophets, to others, I will reveal my will through dreams and through visions. But my servant Moses, he is faithful in all my household. To him, I speak face to face, mouth to mouth. And oh, by the way, Miriam, because you have questioned this, you got leprosy. Wasn't a pretty picture. 
And so when you think about household there, I don't think it's the sense of because you've also got Caleb and Joshua and others who are faithful. I think the idea here is that he's talking about the Levi's. Because you think about it, was Aaron, was Aaron faithful in all? Who was it that built the golden calf when Moses was up on the mountain? Was it Aaron's sons? Oh, by the way, they got struck down and killed because they had offered strange fire. Who had been faithful? It's Moses. It's Moses. So it seems to me when you look at the context that it has something to do with the kind of the, the priestly work, the ones who represent God, the one who, who, who contend with us for God. Well, then you start looking again, context. So you go back just a couple verses into chapter 2, like verse 17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brother, and this is speaking of Jesus in all things, so that he became a merciful and faithful high priest. Oh. You, you, you go on into verse 14 or, or verse 4. Excuse me, verse 4, chapter 4. It's where we're going to be next week talking about rest. He's in this same discussion. Verse 14, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot be sympathized with. Our weaknesses. He talks about in, in chapter 5, of course, he's going to this idea that Jesus is a high priest after the order of Melchizedek, right? It's a difference. It's not a Levitical high priest. It's a greater high priest. And then he ends up in chapter 10 of how Jesus has gone into the very holy of holies, not on earth, but in heaven. And this is what he says. And since we have a great priest over the house, the oikos of God. So you say, Steve, what are you driving at? When you and I came to faith in Jesus, we were changed, right? We were given position as the children of God. But we were also given new roles. Couldn't help but think of what Peter told us in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Now, what's interesting is the Levitical priesthood is not royal. Judah is where the, the royalty comes from. Jesus is after the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek, as we'll see, is the king priest out of Salem, Jerusalem. And now you and I, who have been saved, have been made these believer priests, right? A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We talk about this all the time. We are called to live on mission, right? We are the ones who are salt and light to this world. And I think what he's saying here in Hebrews is, but Christ was faithful as the son over his house, whose house we are. We are the ones who are his hands and feet representing his him now if, if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope in him. When we pull back, when we walk away from the Lord, when we fall away from the faith, we step out of that role that we were given as the royal priesthood of God to this world, to live and to share Jesus. You look at verse 14. He says, we, we have become partakers of Christ, sharers of Christ. 
companions of Christ if we hold fast, right? We represent him if we hold fast. But when we walk away, when we turn our hearts from him, when we let the, the cares of this world, then, then we no longer are in that role that we have been called to, to be the priest, the believer priest pointing the people of praise, the people of worship, the people who represent God to man. And then what's fascinating is he begins to quote there, the end of verse 7 through verse 11, he quotes from Psalm 95. Psalm 95 is about Israel's failure at Kadesh Barnea. Does any of that make sense? Let me, let me tell you that story. So, they went to Sinai, they got the law, they now, they're two years into the exodus. God brings them to the southern part of the promised land and they send in 12 spies. Ten spies came back and says it's a great land, it's flowing with milk and honey, just like we were told, but the people are too big, the armies are too strong, and the cities are too well fortified, we're going to be defeated. Two of the spies, Caleb and Joshua said, man, God will give it to us, right? Faith, lack of faith. At Kadesh Barnea, and, and what's interesting here is you look at uh, verse 8. Do not harden your hearts as when they provoke me. This is actually known as the provocation, right? This was the thing. right? I Israel, man, they complained. They murmured. They did so many things. But this was the provocation because he actually gets them to the promised land and they say, no, we're not going in. We're not going to walk in faith. We're not going to walk in obedience. And God said, okay, that's it. Not one of you, not one of you who's 20 years of age and older will ever set foot in that land. And we're going to wander around out here for another 38 years till every one of you is dead. Your children will know the inheritance, but you won't. And by the way, they try to change their mind. It was over. To me, what I find fascinating is that Psalm 95, with this great reminder and warning, it starts as a psalm of praise, almost a description of what the Levites were to do. It starts with this, oh, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully. You can almost hear the priests singing as they go into the temple to do their daily re responsibilities. Then he goes, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. We are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. Today, if you will hear his voice, and now it's all detailed right here, right? We have the responsibility to represent God. We do that as we walk in faith. We hold our confidence. We, we, we don't turn back. We don't shrink back from the Lord. So the application is here, is guard your heart. Guard your heart. Don't let it be hardened for the people it had to do with adversity, right? They, they were being persecuted. You could just kind of shrink back. In fact, you get to Hebrews 10 and he comes back to this. You know, right here in verse 13, he says, you know, uh, continue, encourage one another day after day. He gets to chapter 10. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. We need each other. We need to be encouraged because it's hard. 
But it's not just adversity, it's sin. Man, if we, if we start listening to the lies, if we start walking in sin, there's a hardness that comes to hearts. I could, I could tell you stories from here to next week. Truth is, you could probably tell the same stories. Of brothers and sisters of Christ who have let sin into their life and a hardness comes. And a deviation from following after the Lord. How do we guard our hearts? You guard your hearts through, first of all, leaning into others. That's why we need each other. That's why we often say church is not about a service at 11 o'clock. It's about community. We need truth tellers in our life. We need people who, who stand on the same principles of the word of God, who speak that truth and that life into us. And I couldn't help but think this week of, you know, how important this was, right? Because they're facing adversity. They're, they're, you know, we live in a country where there's no persecution or very little. We're not facing persecution. I don't think as a nation, you know, we have wholeheartedly hardened our hearts in sin as a, as a family of God. But a pandemic has caused 30, 40, 50% of the family of God to pull out of community with each other. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. And oh, by the way, he says, for we have become partakers of Christ. Lean into Jesus, right? We're companions with him. And I'll talk more about this next week when we get to rest, because this word partaker is such an important word in the book of Hebrews. But I don't think it's just about, man, lean into Jesus today, because there's, you know, he'll keep you. I, there's a part of that. But it's also looking at part of that inheritance, part of that, that rest, that that we throw away is that day we stand before Jesus. So he's talking to the church at Sardis in Revelation 3. He says, but you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments. That means some of them have turned away an unbelieving heart, right? Some of them have pulled back, but some haven't. And to those who haven't, they will walk with me in white for they are worthy. Our companionship with Jesus is not only a blessing today, but it is a blessing in the future. So guard your heart. Lean into him. Lean into others. And the last one, and i got to be done. I, I'm, I'm way over today. I'm sorry. This is just, it's a tough passage. But it's really verses 16, 17, 18, and 19. And it's just basically this, folk. Guard your heart. You know why? Because you can fall away. So can I. We have that ability. We let sin into our life. We get out of community with believers. His point is this. And who provoked him uh, when, they had, when they had heard? Indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? By the way, one thing I should have mentioned. Sometimes people take this that they will not enter my rest, that rest is salvation because Jesus paid it all. There's nothing we do. It's just grace. No, no, it's not what it means. The entire picture of the children of Israel, salvation is not rest. Rest, and we'll talk about this in great details next week, is, is inheritance. Salvation was the Passover lamb. 
They were in bondage. They had no hope. But it was the, the death angel was coming. But if you take the blood of the Passover lamb and apply it on your door, he'll pass over you. And oh, by the way, that's what's going to lead to your deliverance. And if you would, I think that the whole idea, the splitting of the Red Sea is the resurrection, right? We enter into death and out the other side, our enemies are destroyed, a new life. We never have to go back. That's salvation. The promised land was the inheritance. And his point is, who was he angry with? He was angry at the people who had the blood over their door on the Passover. It's the people who walked through the sea. And even though they were saved, they were delivered. They had seen the hand of God. They now turn back in unbelief. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. Because it can happen to me, it can happen to you. Lean into Jesus. Lean into the community of faith.